For science to play its role in society, academics need to disseminate their findings to the general public, innovators and policymakers. And in this podcast, we want to add that academia needs to ensure that working conditions are optimal and incentives for researchers to cut corners or waste resources are minimized. All of these aspects come together in the Principles of Responsible Research and Innovation, RRI. Here, researchers are asked to involve stakeholders, people who may be affected by the particular line of investigation already during the conceptual planning phase of the research projects. Especially when it comes to translational research intended to shape therapies, spark innovations or inform policies, feedback from stakeholders greatly benefit the project and may lead to outcomes that are better aligned with the needs of the people. That's why the European Union has an interest in institutions to implement the principles of RRI in its research. It funded Fit for RRI to suggest guidelines and create training materials on RRI. The project is about to end this month. It was supposed to end six months ago, though, but it was extended because the final summit had to be postponed due to the pandemic. It was supposed to be held in Rome in mid-March. That's why we had this conversation six months ago, which means the podcast too has accrued some lag over the course of the last six months. I'm deeply thankful for the continued trust of my supporters on Patreon. I am your host, Dennis Eckmeyer, and you're listening to episode 55 of Science for Societal Progress. My name is Maxi Gottschling, and I have a background in cultural anthropology, and I have been working for Göttingen State and University Libraries for 10 years now, and I was mainly involved in projects related to open access and open science, and um, this is how I got to the fit for ri project, and I mainly do communication tasks. I'm Helene Brinken, and my background is in information science, so I've been working at the University of Göttingen, also in the library, since 2017. And I've also been involved in yeah, several open science projects, and my focus was uh, mainly on open science training and also on managing the communication for several projects. Maxi, what brought you from cultural anthropology to working in open access mainly? How did that work? Yeah, so actually it was quite a coincidence. When I was studying, everyone was asking me, so what will you do with that after you finish your studies? And I was like, uh, seriously, I don't have a clue. <laughs> and then a friend of mine, uh, he uh, already worked in the library, also involved in this open access project at the time. And he talked me into that and he said, hey, it's fun, we're doing good stuff and uh, would you like to come work with us? And I said, yeah, okay, why not? I, I have a look into that. And then I, I started working at the library and during my work, I I really found that open access and open science is a really, really varied and actually interesting working field. You meet many people with different opinions 
what are different things that you can do in open science? I mean, and what are the different, different opinions? There are the open access and open science forethinkers, which are really, really into that and say open access and open science is the main goal for science and there's no other thing you can do. And uh, on the other side, the people say, yeah, you know, but it's, it's all good with open science, but you know, when I have the opportunity to get my paper into like nature, I will take the opportunity because really push of my career. <laughs> so, and this is really interesting to just have these different opinions. So, and Helena, how did that go for you? I mean, I guess from information science to open access, it's a shorter transition, right? It seems obvious, right? But for me, actually, <laughs> well, I, I studied international information management. And actually, I I never expected to work in a library. And I think during my studies, I I only really started to go to the library while writing my master thesis. <laughs> There was no close connection. My Yeah, in my studies, I rather focused on human-machine interaction and user experience and usability. So I I really thought I would end up doing user tests and designing websites. And so it was it was also like a yeah, coincidence. I saw this position in a mailing list and thought it it sounds very interesting, the field of open science. And also you wouldn't think that, but open science was also it was not a big topic in my institute or something or in the um, field. We talked about it one or two times, but it was not a big issue. But I was always, yeah, like very active in NGOs, advocating for access to knowledge and education for all children and children's rights and so on. So somehow it made sense. But I think that the people who had the job interview with me, they like knew better than I did at that point that the job would suit me and that I would really enjoy working in that field. Yeah, it was a coincidence, uh, but I'm, I'm really happy I took that road. We interacted before when you were on our Twitter account, and you were talking about fit for RRI, and you already mentioned it before. What does that... So first, what does that mean? <laughs> and then what do you do in that project? Uh, yeah, so fit for ri is actually an acronym, <laughs> and it means fostering improved training tools for responsible research and innovation. We uh, like to give projects fancy acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's an EU-funded project under Horizon 2020. And it has been established in 2017, and we are 12 partners in eight countries. And the main question when we started the project was, why are RRI, which means Responsible Research and Innovation, and Open Science not implemented as much as they could be? And FIT4RI wants to mainstream RRI and Open Science in academia. And we want to transform them into a set of strategy and means for research institutions. So how do you define responsible research? In our current society, we are facing many challenges related to health, to food, water security, or climate action, clean energy. And so there's an increased need or demand to find science-based solutions to solve these challenges. 
and also to make um, yeah, science more engaged with societal and, and economic issues. And so this is the reason why the European Union, the European Commission started the biggest research and innovation program ever. So that is Horizon 2020. Many of you probably have heard of it. And I mean, it has a, like a huge volume with 80, I think, 80 billion euros of funding in the past six years to achieve breakthroughs and yes, secure competitiveness, this global world for Europe. And one part of this research program is the SWAFs program. So science within for society. You also may have heard of that. And so, yeah, there are different um, programs with different priorities. But this particular work program, where also the term RI is key, focuses on building cooperations between science and society and to pair scientific excellence with social awareness and responsibility. So this term, Responsible Research Innovation, and the acronym RI, they have been used by the European Commission, I think, since 2010, to um, yeah, really describe a framework to approach these challenges. And the core idea is that societal actors, such as citizens, university, also academia, but also policymakers and organizations, or companies work together in this research and innovation process so that we can better align like the research process and the research outcomes with the needs and expectations of the European society. This is the definition by the European Commission. But I also think that when we look at academia and like our current society, we can also see many reasons why a cultural shift towards more openness, more transparency inclusiveness or what benefit us. I think we could just mention the few keywords of, I don't know, maybe fake news or decreasing trust in science, the reproducibility crisis. And so I think, yeah, RI really tries to offer a solution here. So a lot of these things that you just explained to me sound like citizen science, um, but it's probably not the same. Otherwise, you would call it citizen science. So uh, what is the main difference between citizen science and involving society in different ways? I think in some levels, they like some parts overlap maybe. But I think RI is, is about more. So it doesn't just mean that citizens do science and or, for example, collect data or something like that. It really means to transform the research process, so to make the process itself diverse and inclusive, but also anticipative and reflective, open and transparent, and responsive and adaptive to change. So this means that when you're doing research, that you really try to anticipate the consequences, that you reflect on what you've done, and that you're also open to adapt uh, your research on what you've learned to like to be responsive to that and like why by doing this um, we really try to minimize potential negative impact and i would also say that uh, citizen science is of course one aspect of ri but it's not the only one it just means to involve every actor who could possibly affected by your research should it be industry or government, or whatever you can think of. 
Do you have an example for research and different actors that would be involved in that in some way? Because I could imagine that some uh, research could have effects on groups of people that you not think of immediately. I'm not sure what illness or medication it was, but I think it was one, yeah, also one RI project where they really involved the patient in developing medication. And for example, the, they they like had great developments in like m making the lives easier for the pe for the um, ill people. But for example, then they in like in these focus groups or when they involve the patients, they learned that the worst about this illness. I am sorry that I cannot remember what it was. Was like the itching or something like. And nobody of the doctors ever thought about it because the itching was not something that you can die of. It's just uh, like uncomfortable. And so, yeah, this would maybe one maybe be one simple example how it can help to involve the people who are really affected by that and who are using your medicine. Like maybe one side effect is worse than the other or something like that. This sounds like a tricky demand to have for scientists. For example, I'm sure that back when they first invented plastic, nobody could have foreseen that plastic waste would become so ubiquitous in the environment that it would ultimately affect everybody's lives. True. Yeah, <laughs> right. You cannot anticipate everything. Yeah, that's true. But you can try to <laughs> and to yeah, to for example, plastic is also like maybe thinking about the consequences what it's means if you cannot uh, recycle it well or something like what that mm -hmm. so that would would have maybe been a better example <laughs> and also when you involve someone who is usually not involved in your research or anything alike you can get sometimes very useful insights into your research and that's a very valuable thing to have i agree so, what are the hurdles to implementing responsible research and innovation practices in institutes? Our colleagues did a huge literature review. This is for one, the hypercompetition, and things like that there are fewer permanent positions or the use of quantitative indicators for assessment, so this pressure to publish in yeah instead of measuring quality, and then also, for example, we can think of increasing mobilities. Researchers have to move from one university to the other. So, um, yeah, these are all critical trends that really are also barriers to open, to, yeah, to implement open science and RI. But then they also looked into detail and they found that, yeah, some barriers are related to awareness. So, um, to the cultural attitudes of researchers and other players or institutions, like for example, that RI is rather seen as a risk or a limitation of academic freedom, or that there's a lack of collaborative culture, and also that there are, for example, that there are different priority schemes, like RI and open science are just not seen as relevant as, uh, for example, patents or uh, making profit. There are no material incentives, so that's why RI and open science are not perceived as relevant, or maybe yeah, it's just unclear what what RI and open science mean. Yeah, so and I think there also can be specific technical issues, really, to think that RI and open science are maybe not as effective as 
you wish them to be. So how can you even manage public participation or things like that? Or yeah, that you don't have the resources, skills and training. So yeah, these are some some insights in the 200 pages literature review. <laughs> yeah, and then after this, we thought we wanted to observe our Iron Open Science also in action. And therefore, we had co-creation experiments in four of our institutions. And to give you an example, I just would like to tell you about the experiment who has taken place at Sapienza University of Rome. They wanted to establish the first RI-based Sapienza Research Center. So they wanted to put into practice responsible research and, and a sustainable governance. And it was set up in three phases. So the first phase was the co-design. And they invited internal and external stakeholders. And they observed which are the three core elements after the theory of change by uh, Carol Wise. And then they did the planning phase and they formalized the concrete implementation. And in the third phase, they that was the action phase, actually, and they did uh, 3D printing with organic materials, and they engaged these actors as a responsible action itself. So, yeah, this was the, the experiments, and they um, also had some learnings from that, and they uh, after that, they said that um, the incentive structure and the national strategy is often missing. And yeah, this has to do with cross-disciplinary and public engagement. And then there is often the need to make researchers also aware of uh, responsibility and openness. And this is just something you just have to do to comply to policies, but you have to do it to add value to your research work. Then they found that also it's good to have a policy support and then what came out of it was that they also launched some policies with the establishment of this uh, research center. Mm -hmm. And I think like really purpose of this experiments was really to see what limits and opportunities would an RI concept have for big organizations such as Sapienza University and What does it mean to have like an open debate with internal and external researchers and policymakers and to engage the citizens? So what we really try to do is to combine the this experiment with the literature review to see if what we've learned in theory also can be applied to the institution involved in the fit for i project. The insights they gathered through this and other studies can be found on the website of fit for rri linked in the show notes along with the guidelines and recommendations they formulated based on them. Who are they intended to apply to these guidelines? Which level are we talking about? Individual researchers or institutions or countries or it's, Europe? It's <laughs> research funding and performing organizations. And I think that's also might be the difficulty sometimes. So if researchers read them, they maybe think it's interesting, but it's difficult for like a one person to implement that because it's more about like the overall transformation of an institution to define a strategy for an institution how you can really establish this kind of change 
Okay, and what what's the content now? <laughs> These guidelines deal with a actually very complex set of issues, and the main point is how to effectively embed RI and open science in research organizations. And mm -hmm. um, they are divided in three parts, guidelines for interpretation, guidelines for decision, and guidelines for action. And for each part, we have recommendations for these institutions which can lead their decisions. Some examples. The first part is giving recommendations, as Max said, for interpretation. The examples are for exa that, they, yeah, that you start with mapping the main trends that really affect your own organizations. And then that you start an internal debate. So what changes are occurring and what could be measures to address them. And yeah, to establish tools and maybe make an inventory of action and measures that are already in place or planned uh, to identify the people and resources and raise awareness and yeah, disseminate uh, knowledge about RI and open science among the staff. So that this would be like an example for uh, yeah the interpretation, like how you can relate this to your own institution. And um, when you think about making decisions to have this, yeah, this transformation, then, for example, the guidelines say that you need to keep a process like view and follow a step-by-step -step approach that is open to everyone or like how you can document the process. And, and I think for action, it's some, some recommendations like really try to establish a team that really can activate the process, ensure transparency, inclusiveness, and visibility, and activate negotiation processes, and so on. So, and I think maybe also this iterative approach of uh, reflecting and responding to new ideas um, is also crucial here. So just to um, give some examples of what's in these huge guidelines document. <laughs> yeah, but these guidelines... They are not ready-made solutions to every problem institutions may have. It's guidelines, so it should guide you in your interpretations, decisions, and actions. Yeah, and I think what we've also done in the project is that we've collected like a huge amount of resources as like background information, and that's also all available in these guidelines documents. It's I'm not sure if we already mentioned it, it's at FitFar I eu slash guidelines so there you can find all all this information and what we try to do now is to really get feedback if this works so actually that is what we wanted to do at our final summit which unfortunately now had to be postponed but now we hope to organize some virtual workshops with different stakeholders from like from these uh, research institutions and to get their feedback, what they think, if if that uh, is useful or not. <laughs> so uh, what, what were topics at the conference for workshops? Like, do you have a specific title that you remember? Or I mean, what we really try to do is to have a special event that is uh, not like a usual conference to really interact and engage with the with the audience and we really contacted many other RI projects to come 
and to also give workshops, to have interactive sessions, because we think that it's, now it's key to come together and collaborate and discuss the results and shape the future of open science and society relations. So I think that was like our, uh, our main hope for the conference. We wanted to have three main topics. The first one was RI culture and skills. This is when we would have talked about like what, what we found in the project, because we also, we designed uh, training courses, but also learned from other projects, what, what have they done in terms of open science and RI training. And the second topic what would be institutional change. Uh, so then, as you can imagine, like these guidelines would be also an important topic here. And um, the last topic would be RI and policies. That is also something that I maybe already mentioned shortly before that there are, for example, no incentives that we need to incentivize mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, create incentives um, and uh, make policies for RI and open science. The final summit was held a couple of weeks ago online. You can find the program and recordings on their website. So do you think that any RRI is going to be implemented in the framework for Horizon Europe? That's why we, for example, also invited some policy officer from the European Commission to our conference to learn about that. But in the last year, I was at several conferences where this was the topic and many RI projects, including Fit for RI, they signed a declaration saying we need more RI in Horizon Europe. So what happens to RI in that framework program? And I, I remember one policy officer saying that maybe the term RI won't be in there. This could happen. But then we have so many parts of responsible research and innovation that will be in there, such as open science, such as citizen science, public engagement, all these parts like science education. But they didn't stop with guidelines. They also created online training courses. We are working on training courses and there's already the introduction to responsible research and innovation available. Our courses are at fosteropenscience.eu slash RI toolkit and at the foster portal that is a platform for like mainly open science related resources to learn but also to train people in the foster project we created this open science toolkit with um, topics like open access publishing research data management and peer review and things like that open peer review and so we in, in the fit for RI project we try to extend Uh, this toolkit and um, added some RI related courses and yeah if you register you can get a badge upon completion and there are some learning pathways and yeah the other courses are engaging the public in RI and ethics in RI and RI for companies so that's what is coming soon. <laughs> Fit for RRI is ending. You are moving on to different things. So what are these things? I will work in a, another German open access related project, which is called openaccess.network, which is funded by the BMBF. Bundesministerium für Bildung und Forschung. Federal Ministry of Education and Research then. 
And then I will also partly be involved in our software and service development group and the electronic uh, publishing unit. I already started this month at the National Library of Science and Technology in Hanover. But the nice thing is that I'm working on the same project as Maxi, so this open access network. And we will yeah, create plenty of training materials like videos and webinars and all about the topic of open access, mainly for the German-speaking community, but then also later translated into English. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, but I think we both thought that we would bring fit for I to an end. So it's a bit of like a yeah, confusing goodbye. I think we can all agree that being aware of the needs of people directly affected by your research could lead to research projects targeting issues more precisely. I am curious if and how responsible research and innovation principles can be implemented and how practical it would be to involve a possibly very large number of different stakeholder groups. What do you think? You can learn more about RRI on the website of Fit4RRI. There you will find the guidelines, training courses, as well as the slides and recordings from the final summit. The link is in the show notes. And if you liked this episode, please let everybody know about it. Maybe even write us a review for your preferred podcast directory. If you want to contact me with comments, questions and suggestions, you can do so by email info at scienceforprogress.eu or on Twitter at SciForProgress. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>